I think the biggest difference between science and corporate world was the limitations actually from outside and the hierarchies and the way how you report. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the new episode of Veo Executive Academy podcast, where we give you exclusive insights from some of the brightest leaders today who all have one thing in common. They are or were students of our MBA programs. I'm Chadomir Pushica, your host, and it is my task to ask the right questions so that you can learn more about the person, their industry, their mindset, and how they manage to bring positive change to businesses and their communities. I have a great gut feeling about our guest today, and in a few moments you will understand why. Barbara Sladek, a PhD in biochemistry at Oxford, an MBA at VU Executive Academy, a scientist making history as an entrepreneur with her startup MyBioma. Over 1,000 different bacterial strains and over 30 trillion microorganisms can be found in the gut of every human being. The term microbiome includes all bacteria, fungi, viruses, archaebacteria, and their genetic information. In order for us to feel fit and healthy, there must be a balanced collaboration between the intestine and the bacteria. Sufferings may occur if the balance is compromised. For some time now, the medical field has recognized the gut microbiome as a separate organ. And with this, I think I don't have to explain why I get that great gut feeling. So enter Barbara (laughs) Smolik. Hi, Barbara, and welcome to the show. Hello, it's great being here. Many thanks for the invite. You seem kind of interested in science, (laughs) and you have an impressive academic record. And you're now turning your passion into a business that revolves around gut microbiomes. When did you decide it was the right time to start your own business and what did it take? Well, to be honest, it was a gut feeling. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer. (laughs) It was a dream since, since ever, since I can remember actually to have an own business. And at some point after my PhD, I joined Siemens and I spent some time at Siemens and then everything fell in place. I met my business partner. We decided that we can work together so well that it's worth opening an own business. And we had an idea. And to be honest, then what happened was number crunching and understanding what if, if it's actually worth doing. And that was the longest time that we spent and that we needed to actually start the business. And then it's like jumping into the cold water and leaving all securities behind and say, okay, let's try it. So who did the number crunching? Well, I guess we did it together because mm-hmm. it's it's also that you understand the market or that we develop a vision, what we wanted to do and why, and that you also understand the customers. So you need actually a lot of time to understand, okay, who is going to be the target group? What do they want? What is our vision? And we realized that, for example, for us, we wanted to build a company that makes us happy and where we want to go every day and really like working with and for it and that we wanted to have a name and that we can use our passion to make something great. So Nicolas, for example, he's a medical doctor by training, Mm -hmm. but he really loves programming. And I have a scientific background, but with Siemens and also with the MBA in corporate finance, it's also the business world that really fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And with my bi- bioma, we have and had the possibility to combine both. 
So when you were making the decision to enter the MBA studies to enroll there, how did you choose finance? Why finance? Because I expected it to be the biggest challenge and because it would be the one field where I literally have no idea and from what I can actually learn the most and can use it. Because in reality, so what I learned at Siemens, for example, sorry, I'm jumping, but what I learned at Siemens is that without numbers, it's really tough to be operational. And that understanding the financials and having this financial brain to some point also is necessary for a successful business. So was it hard for you to, to switch uh, your scientific mind? Um, probably not to the just the different way of thinking like finance and science. To be honest, it was. Yeah. It took me quite a, a lot of time to study for it. I mean, we had a fantastic professor, Professor Fruvet, who was really passionate and who, who also helped to develop that brain and to answer a lot of questions and to also gave me the possibility to then switch. So when did you get the revelation? Like, do you remember some specific things about finance that you were like, uh-huh, so that's how it works? It was, so I remember one point where we had a business plan mm -hmm. and the entire business plan was in Excel and it didn't involve anything written. And the point when I understood that Excel and realized, okay, now I get it. That is actually really cool. And I didn't understand that a business plan can be made by just, yeah, within an Excel. That's amazing. And <laughs> how long did it take you from the moment you started your studies to the point you understood Excel? I think I don't know anybody who really is, is well in Excel. Yeah, no, I mean the business plans, or maybe I, I was not. Uh, oh, I business see. Plan, uh, yeah. cool. I don't, I don't know, but it took at least a week just focusing on this Excel and trying to understand it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so long. That time. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so now, Barbara, I want to ask you another question. It's about your career, and you seem to be a bit of a career chameleon. Before becoming an entrepreneur, you transitioned from being a scientist to a corporate professional. And did your needs as an employee change in any way? And how did the management styles differ in those different settings? Well, the nice thing being a scientist and being at university is that you're basically self-dependent and that there is not a lot of limitations you have and that you work for yourself and that you work hard. And then joining the corporate world, I was confronted with hierarchies with a very strict structure and obviously also with limitations. So I think for me, the biggest difference between science and corporate world was the limitations actually from outside and the, and the hierarchies and the way how you report. And that okay. you also, especially at Siemens, you do report a lot. So you write a lot of reportings, which is necessary, which makes sense. For me, that was quite different. Mm -hmm. At my Bioma now, I do have the possibility to have something in between. And because we still need a lot of, to do a lot of reporting and, and because it's a business. Yeah. But we decided, for example, to not have a lot of hierarchies because we're also very small teams and that everybody has his or her own competences and nobody else is basically moving in between. And how many of you are now in uh, my bioma? Approximately 10 people. 
Okay. And who do you normally report to? Who do you write those reports to? Well, obviously the investors, we, so we okay. do have external funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reports go to investors and we have, for example, now a big grant from FFG and so also to public funding possibilities. Okay. So that makes sense. As for the management styles, you said you don't want too many hierarchies in your current setting where you have your own private business. You can organize it the way you want. And so how would you define your management style of, or that of your partner? Well, I guess it's better to ask the other people in our company. But what we try to do and what we want to be is we want to enable, we want to enable ideas and we want to enable people and we want to make things possible. And I think that is also to some point our strength that we say that, that especially in our world, especially in Austria, where we have so many different possibilities, it's important that everybody has the possibility to also fulfill their dreams and to not only work for the money, but to have some kind of purpose. And this purpose is something that everybody has to find within him or herself. And one more thing I really liked about what you said before is that everybody on your team has their core competencies and their areas that they take care of. So as an owner, you should probably, in the beginning, when you create your team, you should understand what you need, but you can't really understand everything with the mathematical precision. So how did you go about that? Did you also let people define their own areas once they're brought in, like general? you had a general idea what you need and then everybody kind of fit in on the go? Yes, exactly. One example is marketing. Neither Nick nor I have a background in marketing. So we expect the people that work, that do our marketing and that help with the communication, mm-hmm. that they know what they do and that they have the training, and that they have their own ideas. So it's, in the end, again, a gut feeling because there is no way that I could do the jobs better than than they do. And how did you get to those people whose areas you did not know that well? So we actually, via internet, so we just posted open positions. Mm-hmm. We still have two open now, so we are always constantly looking for good people. And then again, it's a gut feeling because in the, you do have to like working in the team you are in. That's that's very true. And once I, I also heard that you know, all the tests and everything, you know, don't that much potential to predict how someone will be in their own role. So it's very often a gut feeling, like the same mm-hmm. thing. So why I was asking you all those things about management is that you were nominated as Healthcare Manager of the Month by the Austrian Economic Chamber. And that's why I was wondering. So, you know, there are different types of management or leadership styles. And so what do you think actually makes a good manager? Like you already said probably something in part, but if there is anything you would like to add. I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. Oh, nice. He posted, like in his books, he describes it very, very well. And being a leader and having some visions and some possibilities on how you want to to get there, I think that's, that's the best thing. I definitely agree there. <laughs> so now 
I want to mention something that you probably don't know, but this is not the first time I'm listening to you. So yeah, uh, you were a panelist in an online event organized by Founder Institute Austria that I attended last November. <laughs> yeah, it was called, yeah, the world is small. So uh, the event was called Startup Funding in Austria, How to Raise Money. And so now I would like you to walk us through the process, not only raising money, but also the steps you have taken in order to make My Bioma a successful startup. So actually, to be honest, what we realized while we, during, during our funding round, is that it's not about actually raising money, but that it's always about understanding your own company and understanding what you want and about framing it or basic, basically presenting it in a clear way that other people can share one's vision and opinion as well. And so the top steps for us is actually before raising and before going into, into the fundraising process, understanding where we are, what, is, what are our weak points, uh, what are our key matrices, do we understand our numbers again, Mm -hmm. Is it possible to have a startup so that at some point is profitable and that we also know what is necessary for being a profitable company? And because, so the weird thing about startups is that it's always about increasing and increasing revenues and growing. And when you grow, you constantly also lose money. So when you're successful and you grow, it doesn't mean that you're in black numbers. It quite often means that you still have red numbers and that you need money to, to basically be able to balance that out and to then become profitable. And so knowing that, having a clear roadmap, that is actually the toughest bit. And as soon as you know that and as soon as you formulate it, it's obviously also a matter of how to get the contact. So LinkedIn, for example, is very, is very good for that. But sometimes also investors get attracted by you if, if you have the right company presentation. And then it's about shouting that we want to have investors and that we are raising and doing the presentations. Mm -hmm. So we will have our next funding round end of the year. And currently we're in the process of developing the basically the roadmap and also what we can present to the investors. And one thing that we did, for example, we changed our um, company name to Biome Diagnostics. And we're now going further into the medical direction, since also every business model includes a pivot and, 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 and a way of basically going forward and constantly thinking further. So, for example, we started with MyBioma as a lifestyle product for, B2, for the B2C market, because our vision is and was to allow everybody to or enable everybody to basically test their own microbiome and find out more. It's still scientific, it's a lifestyle product, but it gives everybody the possibility to consider what is the microbiome, how does it actually look within myself. And now what we think that we have found is also a biomarker to predict how immune therapy for cancer treatment will be and how severe the side effects might be. So that is proper medical products, proper diagnostics and medicine. 
And because of that, we, for example, decided to switch our company name to Biome Diagnostics, starting from the microbiome, and have like that a second product line. That is an amazing story. And yes, uh, as you mentioned, pivoting for many companies was crucial for their growth and the strategy and everything. So, but I want go back to what you already mentioned, like to the most important part before you even go to pitch for um, the money or anything. And that's understanding your company. What questions were you asking yourselves? Did you have any help from an external consultant, from someone who's already been there, who helped you ask the right, right questions? Well, I guess we are very lucky because in our very first financing round, we got really great investors. And the fun thing about them is that they also challenge us and that they're like partners and that they have a lot more expertise than we have. And so the nice thing is by challenge, when they challenge us, when they challenge our business model and how we see our roadmap, it brings us further. Also talking to other entrepreneurs helps a lot. And to see also how other companies perform. And your uh, investors are practically strategic investors because they're investing in that industry. They understand the market, right? So both, yes. So mm -hmm. we try to look for or have investors, obviously for a financial reason, but also that they go together with us the way to growth mm -hmm. and that they understand the market and that they understand also our vision. That's important. <laughs> And your first round uh, of investment, what were you focused on? What were you raising the money for? What was your market? Was it Austria or was it Europe? Well, it was starting the entire product and designing the prototype. We started in the Dach region because of a language barrier. And we only went international, more or less, so within a whole Europe starting in April last year, so April 2020. And now we, with, with the tumor markers or cancer markers, you're also, you're, you will raise another round of investments, right? Exactly. So the idea is, so we, we are ISO certified, mm -hmm. meaning that we fulfill specific quality criteria. And for, before we can start the next round, we need to have a CEIVD marked medical product and to show that our marker, biomarker, is working. Okay. And that is what we're focusing on now. So, Barbara, now I want to ask you a personal question, like personal toughness, mental toughness question. What is your attitude to failure? And have you ever failed so bad that you thought you would never be able to come back? And how did you overcome it? Because you're here. I have to say that I like failure as long as they happen once or perhaps twice. And in German, there is this sentence where you say, Aufstehen, Krönchen richten, weitergehen. So it's basically that you, that you have to fall down, then you have to get up again. You have to correct your crown that is back on your head. All right. And then you have to go forward. Okay. Okay. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> and I like it because it's basically on the, in a way that you, there is failure quite often, obviously. I have to say that I'm very, very lucky. I was once very shortly before a burnout and was very happy to basically realize it before it, before it was completely on the floor mm -hmm. and get back up again. And to me, what 
I realized is that I needed to have a better balance and that especially nature is very important and being outside and not only inside and also looking, um, I don't know, doing sports and stuff like that, that hmm? that is really, really important to not to stay in a balance. I absolutely agree. And also regarding failure, you said quite well that failure is okay as long as it's one once or twice but more than that it's just idolizing fa uh, failure because you can probably see it on many websites people are kind of proud of failures like failure after failure but it's discouraging actually and it can discourage a lot of people so once or twice is okay put your crown up like <laughs> fix it and move on so now, um, speaking about your sector and the medical field, and what would you identify as the main direction in which uh, medicine is going? And uh, what are the key questions you're asking yourselves nowadays in the industry? What is the next big thing, the major challenge? One thing, so we're now still in the pandemic, in corona pandemic, which is tough. But one positive thing out of it is that I... For me, I have the first time the feeling that diagnostics and prevention are really important words. <laughs> and before Corona, you, I don't know, somebody had a, some, a headache or something like that. And the first thing that one did was taking a pill. Mm -hmm. And now with Corona and testing, it's the first time that we want to figure out, okay, what's the diagnostics and how can I prevent myself from becoming ill? And that's actually really cool because it's a completely different mindset. And what I realized is that also in our sector, people are far more self-aware and that they want to act preventively before becoming sick. And that's really, really cool. Yeah. I do think that one of the key questions that also we ask, obviously, ours constantly is how to go on. What's the next thing, big thing and how diagnostics and also prevention will move huh? in which direction. And one very big challenge, I think, is e-health and telemedicine. So basically, especially in the medicine world or in the medical world, a lot of stuff is still not very digital. So bringing digitalization into the medical world might be one of the very big challenges. Why do you see it as a challenge? What is the most challenging thing about that, except the, the volume like the volume of written cards, like paper, hard hard documents, moving that online, that's all, almost impossible. But what is there anything else that you see as particularly challenging? I think it's the balance, because if one goes to the doctor, you want to have a contact and you want to see somebody and you want to have an emotional experience, and to some point an emotional experience, you want somebody to talk to, and to understand one problem hmm. and finding the, the balance between physical and personal contact and digitalization is quite tough. Besides, besides realizing that a lot of the work done in medicine is still hard copy and on problem. Do you think doctors who work there would uh, find it difficult to adapt to e-technology and using everything electronically? Certainly, it might be also an age thing, like how old somebody is, but certainly it's not easy. Maybe happening in the private sector first, then in the 
governmental yes. sector, right? Mm -hmm. Public health. Okay, so now I want to move on to some merrier topics here. And <laughs> what I have in front of me is something you wrote in the Executive Academy newsletter. And that was last year, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you could change spots with someone for a day, you say it would be the American president, now former president, Donald <laughs> Trump. <laughs> so would it still be him today or someone else? And what was that all about? I wanted to understand how Trump can move into this direction and tell so many lies. And still, that is something I just don't understand. That's and that was the reason why I chose him, to be honest. Now, most likely, I would perhaps go for Shirley Sandberg. Okay. Now, since I'm a mom, I find it very tough to balance my life properly. So being into the shoes or seeing how other people do it certainly would be interesting for me. <laughs> and still managing a really cool business and managing both. Good. And now that you mentioned education, that's going to be my last question. And then, of course, if you have something to add, it'll be a pleasure. What are the techniques that you use to learn effectively? Because you learn a lot. And so how do you, how do you learn? I don't know. I guess on the job. Um, okay. And I guess as, as long as you can rationalize why you need something, it mm -hmm. really helps. I cannot say that I'm a very auditive person or somebody who needs to see everything or visualize type of person. I think it's the combination. Okay. That makes sense. And different styles, that's why I'm asking you, because you're more probably of a practical type, but understanding why you're doing things would definitely help you learn how to do it, right? Okay, Barbara, so do you have anything else to say to our audience before we wrap up? Just listen to your gut feeling. It usually is the reason why it's right or why somebody has it. That's, that's a great message. And we started with a gut feeling and we were ending it that way. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I really appreciate it. Many thanks to you. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye. Hello again. Thank you for listening to this episode of VEU Executive Academy podcast, Know How to Inspire. Now, one more thing before you go. Please subscribe to our channel on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, or check out our website at www.executiveacademy.at forward slash podcast. That is executiveacademy.at forward slash podcast. Last but not least, spread the word, because the more you share knowledge, the more inspiring it gets.